so much, Coach Walters. Uh, so happy for you to be with me on the Wave Capitals guest speaker series on relationship building and a team environment. And you're my guest today. And you know, wanted to get your insights. You know, you played in the NBA for seven years. You went to the University of Kansas, played for Hall of Fame coach Roy Williams, someone who I've had the pleasure to meet uh, several years ago as well. And you know, wanted to know and learn about your ideas about relationship building with the coaches that you've worked with, the teams that you've coached on. So we'll begin. How would you define relationship building, Coach Walters? Well, I think relationship building starts in the first discussion, the, the first time you meet that young man or young woman, and really establishing what you're about, finding out about what they're about, and then seeing if there's a common ground as a coach to help them achieve their goals. I mean, I was always really upfront and honest. I want to talk about my intentions and my goals and plans for them. So that's where I wanted to start the relationship. And then every time you get a chance to spend time with them and you have to spend time with them, go to lunch, which at the time when I first started, you couldn't do that. You know, and towards the end of my career, you could, you could go to lunch, you could spend time. Uh, so you have to, to do that. You have to invest in that because the, the more you invest, the more you get to know all of the idiosyncrasies, their journey, their life, it just gives more substance to the relationship so that when you do coach them, they understand it's coming from a place of good. So, um, you know, that's how I see how you're going to build a relationship with a young man or young woman in a, in a work environment, in a team environment. And what, talking more about that, you know, characteristics, attributes, leadership qualities, you know, what have you seen as a former player and going up your time at Northwestern and University of Kansas and all the NBA teams you played for now? I mean, have there been like, you know, common commonalities, you know, that you've seen over the years, have things changed? You know, I know that the game of basketball has evolved tremendously. Maybe you can talk specifically about what leadership qualities, characteristics, and attributes that have stood out to you. Well, I think the first thing when you're talking about players is them having an understanding of who they are and where they're weak, where they're strong, how to play to their greatness, how, you know, and, and how they're going to get there. Uh, they can look at themselves and they understand that they have things that they need to work on. Uh, they understand that there's going to be a sweat equity that they need to invest in themselves, but also in their teammates. Uh, being a leader uh, at a high level takes a lot of things. I mean, usually when your best player is your best leader, you have a chance to have real success. And, and, and if you look at the great organizations, the great teams, the teams that have won championships, that's usually who they have. They have a, a, a personality. They have a leadership quality. They have a, a player that has a work ethic and a willingness to invest in his teammates. You talk about LeBron James is, is, is a great one. Tim Duncan is a phenomenal example of that. You know, Michael Jordan, as we watched the last dance, you see that that was an evolving thing for him because he was the hardest worker. He was the most dynamic personality and his leadership style was very abrupt and in your face. So you have to, as an organization, put players around him that can handle that leadership style. Cause there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. I've, I've played for Chuck Daly. I played for Pat Riley. I played for Larry Brown. I worked for Stan Van Gundy. Every single one of them had a different personality and have a, had a different leadership style uh, and a relationship building style as well. So uh, as an organization, as a team, as a, when you're a college coach, you are the organization, you, you're the one trying to put the team together. So you have to make sure that you have 
really good leadership, but also guys that can handle leadership as well. And, and, and that's part of, again, the relationship you build with that player. You have to learn about that young man and the young men that are going to be following his lead and your lead. So that's why the relationship part of it is so, so important. Absolutely. And you've mentioned so many amazing coaches, Larry Brown, and you've mentioned, you know, Pat Riley, and you see a picture of me and Michael Jordan, and I had a pleasure of meeting him back in 2005. And I was reading articles online, you know, the times that you would face MJ and, you know, you would wear number 23. That was your favorite number. I, I played basketball up until you know, high school. I wore 23, had the chance to perhaps walk on at the collegiate ranks, but I wanted to focus more on academics at the time, but I've always been a fan of the game. Uh, you know, talk about, and I love the last dance. I mean, who, who doesn't, you know, love the last dance? You learn so much about the relationship building amongst people like Michael and Scotty, and then, you know, Dennis and how he folded into things. And then, you know, big guys like, you know, Steve Kern, Jock Paxson hitting key crucial shots in playoff games to win championships. You know, talk about, you know, when you think about the coaches you played for, I've been, I interviewed Del Harris just the other week for the speaker series, and you played for him uh, on one of the games that you that you know I'd love for you to highlight. Each coach that you've played for, and, and maybe highlight some of the teammates that you've played with. What things did you learn about relationship building? Any specific anecdotes that you'd like to share? Well, I think the first thing, and I did, I played for Dell and, and give him my best. He, he, he helped me get drafted at a higher level. I was at the Desert Classic and he was my coach. And the one thing I think the, the biggest thing that's really, really important for all great leaders, you got to know what the heck you're doing. Okay. I mean, that, that's the biggest thing. And you're, you have to make sure that your players understand through your actions, not through your words. You, you can't tell a kid, just listen to me. It's going to work out. You have to show them every single day in your work ethic, in your preparation, in your detail, that you can truly help them achieve things that uh, they aspire to, but also maybe they don't know they're capable of. I think that's the biggest thing. And every great coach, like I didn't sit there and have long conversations with Pat Riley, Larry Brown, Chuck Daly. But the one thing they all had is I believe they could help me be better. And I think that's the biggest thing as a leader is you got to help them believe. You got to make them believe through your actions. Yeah, your words are part of your actions, but that they can help you achieve goals that you want to achieve. And I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, and it's not always, you know, nice, touchy, touchy, feely, you know, pat on the back. It, sometimes it's hard, but you have to make sure and, and great leaders all have this. They make you believe you can be great. They make you believe that you can achieve great goals. And every single great coach that I had, and I've had a lot of great coaches, they helped you believe that. And the ones that didn't, and no, and I won't ever name any names, but the ones that made me feel like they didn't believe that I could get it done, or they, I didn't believe that they could help me become what I wanted to be, to me, that wasn't great leadership. Um, so, and, and I failed as a leader. You know, sometimes the message doesn't get conveyed in the way you want it to. And you have to look at yourself as a leader. Well, what could I have done better? What can I learn from this situation? How am I going to progress and move forward so that these things don't happen again? But yes, all of those coaches had that. You know, when you, Stan Van Gundy has that. Uh, when you spend time with those people, you believe in their work ethic. You believe in their plan, their detail, their organization, and what they have for you and for the team to truly achieve great things. Absolutely. And I'm sure 
and you've alluded to this, that, you know, some coaches stand out more than others. What was your um, thought process when you were at Northwestern and you were thinking, hey, I might want to transfer, and you, and you did, to the University of Kansas? Talk about your relationship with Coach Williams. Well, Coach Williams was it was it was very cut and dry, to be quite honest. He, he kind of laid it out. And uh, I think other thing lead, great leaders do, they, they don't promise uh, all these things. It, it's going to be about work ethic. It's going to be about unselfishness. It's going to be about how are you going to continue to improve and get better each and every day? And are you going to invest in the team? And that's really what he talked about. His, the whole mantra when it goes back to North Carolina is we're going to play hard. We're going to play smart. We're going to play together. And so that was that was just stuck in my mind like okay those three things make a lot of sense okay but he backed it up every single day he worked extremely hard he put his golf clubs away when the season started he was in the gym early I, you know i'd walk in the office they'd be in staff meetings there was a very detailed and organized practice plan when we worked he invested just as much if not more than we did with the amount of film that they watched uh, the amount of organization um, so over time, when, when you first, you know, college kids, when you're 19, 20, 21 years old, you don't necessarily know what you're getting yourself into, right? And I didn't when I was getting ready to go. And that's after two years of college. And I, and I had a great coach in Bill Foster. Bill Foster went to Final Fours, was a highly successful coach. I decided to leave Northwestern. I still didn't know what I was getting myself into when I went to Kansas. But the one thing about Coach Williams is I did. I trust his work ethic. I trusted him that there, there was a thing about him that, that he had great character, um, you know, just a trustability when he talked to you, you believed what he said, but then he also backed it up every single day. And me as a player that ended up being one of the leaders on the team that learned, had to learn how to be a leader on that team. Uh, it challenged me to be better in those areas to work harder, get smarter, and then play unselfishly. Yeah, and I think that, you know, you had the great pleasure to play for him for two years, and he was so instrumental in your life, and I got a little brief snapshot of the type of person he is, not only having gone to North Carolina and be a fan of the game and, and watch a lot of Carolina games, but it was in 2016, it was just several days, maybe not even a week after they lost the buzzer beater against Villanova. And he is with his wife. They're at a restaurant in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. You know, he has a summer home in that area. And, you know, my father and I, I was with family and I spotted him. And I think, well, you know, I want to be respectful of his time. And I, you know, walked up to him and say, you know, coach went to Carolina, you know, think the world of your, all your abilities as a coach and what you've done to the game and what you've been to the Carolina fabric and the community. And, you know, he was so humble and so kind and gracious, you know, got a picture with him and, you know, something that I'll cherish for the rest of my life. But just for those brief moments asking, you know, who I was and, you know, where I'm from and, you know, wanting to grab a picture, because you think about after what occurred, you know, that was such a tough, tough loss, but it just speaks to his character that he, you know, it goes beyond basketball. He could, you know, really pick up where he left off and he's on to the next season, you know, and he's, and he's wanting to still, you know, mo most coaches or most players, you know, after a tough loss, they, you know, want to just have some private time and they want to reflect on the season. But, you know, it just spoke to like the resilience he had. I, I know it's a well, lot of resilience. I know it's a lot of genuine nature of, you know, wanting to just still be out there, and, and to be able to know that, hey, we're going to compete, and they end up winning the next year, 
And I think that, you know, you probably played with a lot of coaches, the resiliency, you know, you, you have the tough losses, but you have the great, great wins. So I think that you, you've experienced that, you know, firsthand. And, you know, when you think about the relationship building that you've probably been a part of you're you know you're Japanese American talk about the culture the culture of the sport how it goes beyond basketball and how it goes you know do you see yourself as someone who broke you know barriers well I think the first thing the, the most important thing that you said was to how genuine coach Williams is like I, I've I've been fortunate to play for some great great coaches and I put Stan Van Gundy right in this they're, they're truly genuine people that care about people it's it's not about them uh, they have a servant leadership style. They're about service and putting their players and putting people in position to win, making people feel good about themselves, and yet at the same time holding them accountable at a very, very high level. Uh, you know, regarding me and, and, and groundbreaking, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm half Japanese. I don't look Japanese. Uh, I did grow up in the Asian American community. I played, uh, you know, in the Japanese league in San Jose, California, from about fourth grade on. Um, I'm very proud of that. I, I know my my mom, who's full, she's from Japan. Um, my my father brought her over here when they got married. So I, I have great pride in the fact that I, I want to represent her in the right way. I, I want to make sure that I'm conducting myself, and I fall short a lot. You know, I, I have a mouth and I have a competitiveness to me, but at the same time, I want to honor, you know, my mother and, and where, where she came from, uh, my friends, I, I most all the, the shoot, the people that were in my wedding were guys I grew up with that played in the Japanese league. So I, I am very proud of that. Uh, hopefully in some small way, other kids that saw me play growing up and saw me play at Kansas and play in the NBA say, hey, a guy with Japanese blood in him can make it. If you look at the women's Japanese team, they're phenomenal. Yeah. I think they, they, they won the silver medal. Hopefully we can get the men's team to continue to grow and build and, and, and compete at that level as well. But, but I do take great pride in that. Uh, hopefully I've done a good job of, of representing the Japanese American community. Yeah, absolutely. And you see, you know, Jeremy Lin and what he was able to do with heritage from from the Asian communities. And he was able to be very successful at the NBA level. And, you know, you, you see how the NBA is well represented around the world. And I think that the 92 dream team, you know, really, you know, opened basketball beyond just America and you played the, in the NBA at that time. I mean, you got drafted right after Kansas, but you know, you were part of the nineties basketball fabric and how the game really started evolving and taking shape and the influences, you know, Michael Jordan, but you know, so many other great, great players and so many other players like yourself who were able to, you know, make an impact on any team that you, you played for. And you talking to you, it sounds like you got so much out of your time as an NBA player and how it's made you become a, a, a much more um, successful, you know, person professionally and personally, and, and even in the, the sport. Uh, talk about how you were able to um, find your way to New Orleans and being an assistant coach for the Pelicans. It, it was a great experience. It really was. I, I learned a lot. I think the one thing, another great point I think you brought up was, you know, Coach Williams meeting him after losing to Villanova. And there's no victimhood in coaching. Like when you coach in college basketball, when you coach in the NBA and NBA basketball, I mean, those guys are going to lose in the NBA 82 games. You're going to probably lose somewhere between 20 and 40 games a year minimum minimum like you, you don't have time to feel sorry for yourself you don't have time to 
to you know beat people down. You have to constantly be working your plan, building guys up, holding guys accountable, and moving on to the next opportunity. And I, I've taken that same stance. I, I, I played seven years in the NBA, got cut twice. I played overseas uh, for about two and a half years. I've coached. I've coached at Florida Atlantic, got a job with San Francisco. After eight years, I got fired. I kept moving. I, I, you know, and, and right now, I'm, 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 I'm still trying to get better. I'm trying to get better for myself as a person, as a father, as a husband, as a coach, uh, as a leader. I, I, you have to have that. You, there, there can't be any victim uh, you know, process in your head. You've got to keep moving and getting better. But you know, New Orleans, I learned a lot. Anytime you have a chance to work for Stan Van Gundy, there, there's nobody better, in my opinion. I've only worked for one, one NBA head coach, and that's Stan Van Gundy, so I'm biased. But when you see the plan that he puts out and, and, you know, with COVID this year, it was a very difficult situation. We only came together for about a week, week and a half to really put together a plan for our team with a lot of new pieces. And quite honestly, pieces that were still being signed as we were getting ready to start camp and we're in camp. We didn't have our full roster, but yet there was no victim with, with Stan. He, he, he put together a plan. At times he had to adjust the plan, but you could see the great level of detail and work ethic and how he was going to study, film, uh, have discussion with assistant coaches, uh, have discussions with players to really try to put together the best possible system or package he could for the season. And, you know, it's funny after the season, we got fired, right? We got, we got fired. And quite honestly, there was no victim in Stan Van Gundy, like it wasn't like, okay, I'm moving on to the next thing. I'm look, I'm looking for my next opportunity, whatever it may be. I mean, he's 63 years old. So his next plan may be on a boat on Lake Mary, you know, uh, enjoying life, but there was no victim to him. And I think that's a really important part of being a leader. Like those guys are always looking, you know, you think about Joe Montana, who was a great quarterback. And he said, the thing he really loved was, and, and most leaders and most coaches, when you're in the locker room or you're in a huddle and every single eye is on you and you have a chance to deliver a message and put together a plan and make guys believe that they can get it done. That, that's, that's why it's one of the reasons why I coach. Yes. The locker room after a big win is great too, because you see the celebration, but, but there can be no victimhood when things don't go your way. You're going to have to move on to the next thing, lick your wounds, figure out the mistakes, figure out how to get better and let's keep moving forward. You know, Pat Riley used to talk about blind faith. You have to have blind faith. You don't know if it's going to happen, but you know, it's there somewhere and you've got to keep moving forward as a unit, uh, knowing that it may not work out, but having blind faith that, you know what, if we keep doing this, we give ourselves the best chance for success. And, you know, taking the words of, you know, Pat Riley, blind faith. I mean, if you think about outside of sports, but still utilizing the principles that you learn in sports and, and let's, you know, think outside the box here. So let's say, for example, you want to start an organization and it doesn't have to be sports related. You know, okay. when you think about a corporate CEO or an executive leadership team, you know, who is it? Pat Riley, is it Larry Brown, Roy Williams, Del Harris, like all these coaches you've mentioned, Stan Van Gundy, you know, who in your mind is instantly you think of who would make a great corporate CEO and, and, and why? Well, 
I mean, Matt Doherty, Stan Van Gundy, those are two guys that are going to put an awful lot of thought and planning into running an organization. And they're going to only do it if they're really, really passionate about it and believe in what they're doing. Um, but all of them could. Roy Williams would be great because, but it's the work ethic. It's just different type of work, if that makes any sense. Their, their passion is, you know, winning championships, winning games, but also building a relationship with players and helping them achieve their goals. They're really inspired by that. It's no different than the corporate world. They're going to put together a plan and they're going to really research that plan and really come to get, you know, come up with study, talk to others, get other people's ideas. They don't, they don't have to necessarily know everything. And they're going to also try to surround themselves with the best possible staff, which I think is really important for leadership. You've got to have guys stand with, Stan was actually the smartest guy in the room, but Bob Beyer was really smart too. So he'd always have people in and he wanted to hear different ideas and it didn't have to come from the smartest guy in the room. You know, it's amazing how he would listen to something like that makes 100% total sense. And it may have just come from a player that was on the end of the bench. Like he was always listening, always really open about taking direction, but that's what, that's what great leadership does. And that's why those guys would be great in a CEO position because they're going to study, they're going to research, they're going to listen, and then they're going to make people believe in the direction that they're going. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's the thing, you know, you've highlighted Stan Van Gundy a lot, you know, growing up in Florida and living in Tampa and now I live in Orlando. I know that Stan Van Gundy used to be the magic coach, took them to the NBA finals against the Lakers. And, you know, they were, you know, made them the second best team. You know, he had Dwight Howard, Jameer Nelson. He had, a lot of great players on that team. Uh, it just speaks to, and all the coaching assignments he's had as a head coach and even, you know, his time in basketball and, and you know, with, um, you know, with, with his pedigree, I mean, he's always been successful wherever he's been. And, and to hear you speak so highly of him, it, it sounds like he's had such a great impact on you, which is, you know, wonderful to hear about. When you think about, you know, players, who, what former players or current players do you think would make a great corporate CEO and somebody you'd want to work alongside with, you know, running an organization, hypothetically speaking, um, if it was outside of basketball? Well, that, that's a great question. Uh, I've worked with a lot of very talented guys that have figured out how to become great at what they do. And some, and so, wow, that, that, when I think of guys that could be great as a business leader, because Here's the thing I would say, and that's why coaching, I think, is probably lends more so than maybe a player. And I, and I was a player, so I'm not trying to act like players aren't yeah. the smartest guys in the world. Right. But coaches, like the, the, that's why I named Matt Doherty and, and Stan Van Gundy and Roy Williams. And, you know, because I was around those guys and I could see it was more than just the game to them, if that makes any sense. It was, and they're in a position in their lives at 40, 50, 60 years old, but now they're starting to think about impacting a lot of people as opposed to just impacting themselves and them and their family and players. We're, it's, and I don't mean this to come off the right way. In some ways, we're very selfish about, you know, providing for our family, giving our family the best possible life in the world. But then as you get to be 30, 40, 50 years old, you start thinking about the bigger pictures. So that's a tough one for me to answer. I have to be around those players a little bit more and right. where they're at in the world. Uh, I've been around some guys that have ended up being great uh, in the corporate world, but um, 
you know, I, I always go back to this and, and what, like Roy Williams can talk about anything in a very intelligent manner. He's going to sit down. He's going to read the paper. He's going to watch the news. He wants to know what's going on in the world. And I think that that's really important as a leader that you have those type of things. Matt Doherty was the same way. And that's why he was such a great recruiter. He could go out and he could talk about a world of different things intelligently. You know, when I'm around basketball players in the locker room, we're talking about basketball, you know, quite honestly, we're talking about basketball and how we're going to win the next game. So right. I'm not giving you a great answer and I'm sure I'm, I'm missing out on some guys. Um, but, uh, to be a leader in the business world, the, the margins of, of error are so small. The margins of victory are so small. Uh, I'd have to really, really do my research before I could give you a really great answer on that one. Well, you know, again, uh, I'd love to have you back on the program, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the future, because, you know, it's great that, you know, after, you know, episode like this, you can be, you know, reflective on, you know, your answers. And then, you know, something might pop in your head and you say, oh, I'd love to talk about that for, for next time. But no, you gave, you gave a great answer. I mean, you talk about the worldliness of, you know, some of these coaches, you know, outside of basketball, if you're, you know, well-read and, you know, you, you're a student, not only of the sport. Like you know what, I'll say this. And I just, I just thought of one, uh, Jamal Mashburn. Jamal Mashburn's done really well in the business world. Uh, if you watched a lot of things about pro athletes, there was something on 30 for 30 on ESPN about how, how a lot of athletes lose their money. Jamal was someone that was always thinking ahead, always thinking for owns car dealerships, has his own business. Is done. He's probably making more money now than he, than he was when, when he was playing and he was making a lot of money, you know? So he's a guy that was very introspective, always thinking ahead, always planning. Uh, and, and you wouldn't have thought of that for him as a player because he was a score he was thinking score first he was thinking isolations but yet in the business world i think that uh, he's done a phenomenal job and so uh i you know jamal would be one guy who would say hey if i'm going to go into business somebody that'd be a guy kevin pritchard who's the gm of the indiana pacers he was always thinking about business opportunities and and how he could you know make a living outside of basketball so kevin pritchard be another guy I never went into business with him but he was always thinking of ideas and how I can I can make this uh, work for me, my family, and the people that work for me. Yeah, and, and those are the great answers. And I remember, you know, growing up watching Jamal Mashburn play, and you know what what a great great player. And I know that you know he played for the Heat. He played for the you know he pl played for the Hornets. Hornets, he's the Hornets. Yeah, yeah. He's a good yeah. player. He's a good player. Really, really smart guy. And and probably misunderstood because he was such a great scorer uh, and he got labeled as, as kind of a, just a scoring guy, but very, very intelligent, very thoughtful uh, and has done really, really well in the business world. That, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And when you think about the European, you know, culture over there and, and the game of basketball, how was it different than playing in the NBA? A, a lot different. Um they, they spend a lot more time working on their fundamentals and their skill. Uh, that's, that's the one thing that really, and their system is totally different. They're, they're good players don't play in their high school system. They're good players don't play in a college system. They play for their club team in that city, in that area, and they can be moved to other club teams. But it would be like Monday through Friday, you'd, you'd wake up, you'd practice around you know, nine, 10 o'clock, you'd, you'd have a thing called siesta in Spain. You'd go home, take a nap and you come back at night and you, you, then you'd practice. So we'd spend a good two hours in the morning working out, working on skill, working on our passing, handling, uh, ball handling, shooting, 
different parts of the fundamental game. And then at night we'd, we'd play and, and scrimmage and really practice. And that's why the international game, if you look at a lot, you know, guys like Luca, you know, some great international players, they're really skilled. They really pass, handle, and shoot at a high level. And a lot of that's because of the time that they put in and just the international system so different. Whereas we're putting more emphasis on uh, individual athleticism, ability to get to the basket, ability to, to kind of put on a show a little bit as opposed to the team game and the fundamentals of the game. So, and, 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 and quite honestly, your younger players are learning from older players. When you're a high school player, you, the, the most, the highest level you'll play against probably is going to be a 12th grader if you're in ninth grade. And when you get to college, you're only going to play against other college players. Well, overseas, I was, I was shoot 30 years old, working out with 18, 19 and 20 year olds and helping them develop their game. So it's just a completely different system. That's very, very efficient. Right. And would you say like the relationship building from, from the standpoint of, uh, of that, uh, of the nature of the podcast for, you know, relationship building and team environment with the teams that you, you played on, you know, overseas was the relationship building a little bit different or not so much compared to here. It, it, it's really funny when you talk about like, you know, basketball, uh, and even in college. So you have to really pick your spots in a college setting and even in the NBA setting, because here's the thing you've got about 30 minutes to an hour before practice where guys are getting kind of ready to get, for, get ready for practice. Then you practice anywhere from 30, 45 minutes to two hours based on the time of the year and what your schedule's at. And then you got about another 30, 40 minutes right afterwards where you're, you're getting loose, you're getting your stretch, you're getting your treatment, and then you're, you're kind of out of there. So you've got to be really, really good as a coach. Uh, you have to be good as a player to, to build that relationship. Because once you leave the gym, especially in the NBA, you're, you're like 13 to 17 different corporations. Guys aren't doing a whole lot of hanging out with each other. So the impact you have in the time that you have in a sport is really important to take advantage of every single one of those opportunities. And you don't always know when they're coming from. So that's why I have so much respect for the coaches that I worked for, because they really valued the amount of time that we had. And it was very purposeful, if that makes any sense. I think in the corporate world, you probably have a little bit more time because it's nine to five and there's a little bit more time, but guys are putting their, you know, putting their work in, get, getting to their desk. But when you have an opportunity, whether it's a lunch, whether it's beforehand, the, the communication that you have with them, it's really important in making them believe in, hey, this is the plan. This is where we're going. This is how we're going to get there and making them believe in it. So, and it's the same thing overseas. I didn't hang out a lot with the guys when the practice was over in Spain. I didn't. I was siesta. I was going to go home. I would be with my family. But the time that you have, you have to make the most of it. And you have to have like really purposeful intent as to what you're trying to get accomplished as a team. Uh, and that's why it's so important. The people that you bring into your organization, it's so important as well, because you're not going to change 18 to 22 years of, of how they've been raised, how they've been brought up and how they think. It's really hard to change those things. You've got to be really smart about who you're going to bring into your organization as well. Absolutely. And even outside a corporate environment, when you think about, you know, small businesses and entrepreneurship and the creativity in that regard, I mean, I think that when it comes to relationship building, there's no one way of doing it. 
each process could be unique of how a coach wants to build players on their teams. And there's so much creativity to it. Could you talk about some of the creative methods? Maybe you, you saw, you know, coaches instill on teams that you were, you were in on or, you know, imparted on teams that you were in on and maybe some creative methods that you use when you coach. Well, I think the first thing is you wanted to get out of the office. You wanted to get out of the gym when you had times where you could go to lunch, you could have a conversation. You didn't want to be, you didn't want it to be in the work environment because now it's only just about that work environment. Well, for me, it was basketball. So I think you got to make things fun. I think you got to, you got to keep things at times when you have a chance to keep things light. And that's even when you're not being, not successful, you've got to find a way to keep things light. You know, we would do, we did the great race when you're at San Francisco, uh, we put guys in groups of teams so they'd get to know each other. And then they had different agendas they had to get done in the city of San Francisco. San Francisco is a great city. It's seven by seven miles. So we had different things, different achievements that they had to do without being able to use their cars. They had to figure out how to transport themselves without their own cars. And that was a great team building type of thing for us and watching our guys really get to know each other and build a bond with each other and build a relationship uh you know we would we would I would I was kind of crazy I would talk about this really hard practice we were going to have and and then we'd go and get into a bus and we'd go watch a great movie you know what I mean get some popcorn have some fun and they would be relieved that today's not a day they're going to be running you know 12 33s and and running up and down the floor but again the car ride is going to be really important to the movie theater and the conversations you have you know, so you have to do those type of things to make sure that they know you not just as a basketball coach, but as a person, as a human. We would have our players over to the house a lot in San Francisco. Every chance we would get when we had a recruit coming into town, we would have all of our players come over. We would cook for them. Again, it's about servant leadership. We would cook for them. We would make sure that they had good food. We would make sure they have good drinks and, and a place to hang their hat. I think those things are really, really important because, again, your amount of time is limited. There's only 24 hours in a day. They got they get practice for a maximum of two and a half hours maximum, right? They have a school which can go anywhere from three to four hours, and they got study hall. So you have to really be smart in organizing your season, right? To figure out, okay, this is where I can do something of of that takes them outside of basketball, takes them outside of school, that we can really get to know each other. And you're gonna have to pick about three or four of those opportunities on top of one-on-one -on -one conversations, going to lunch, which is, for me, I, I never did that in college. I never really went to lunch with Coach Williams. I mean, but the world has evolved, it's changed, and these kids have changed now. And you have to, uh, you know, it's either adapt or die in this world. So you're gonna have to adapt and spend time to really get to, and the best relationships and the best recruits I ever had are the ones that I really understood them in the recruiting process, right? And then over the course of one to four years that, that, that I would see things about them and they would let me into places that they weren't always necessarily comfortable letting me in. And those were the best relationships and guys that I still talk to this day, you know? So, uh, and the other one was I got really lucky. I would get really lucky because I, I didn't have the time to, to really get to know them as a young man. But over time, I found out that, that they're about all the right things. And it just made me really value them more. And I, and I think they valued what I brought as well to helping them achieve their goals.
but you don't want to be lucky too many times. You want to do the, the best job you can do to make sure you know who you're bringing into your organization. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where it's, you know, you've come across so many players on the recruiting trail and, and guys who have played for you and thinking about all these different types of activities where you can really get them to be bonding with you and with fellow players. And you talk about, you know, service related, you know, leadership and what, you know, coach Williams, you know, how he's embodied his life and how you embody, you know, with all the intangibles and tangibles that you've, you know, acquired and, and that have been, you know, God given to you to, to be the best person possible. Uh, when you think about, and, you know, this is my last question before we depart from the interview, when you think about, you know, being as a father and a family man and, you know, raising, you know, your kids and, you know, how has relationship building in sports uh, really evolved in relationship building within your own family? Well, it's a challenge every day because they're not just uh, going to listen to what you say. They're going to watch what you do. And, and so every single day, you're either building equity or, or you're losing it, quite honestly. So they're, they're going to watch the things that you do, watch how you handle situations. Uh, in your toughest times, are you going to be calm and focused and, and moving on to the next task at hand. I think as a father, you're, you're, you're a coach in so many ways. So uh, they're, they're watching and you've got to understand that and you've got to step to the plate every single day and every single minute and you're going to make mistakes. And I think here's the other thing, when you make mistakes, you got to own up to it. I think that that, 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 that builds a relationship that this guy knows that yes, our coach is fallible. He does make mistakes. And every coach, great coach that I played for did that coach Williams would, he would, he would, he would, he would have a curse word, which happened like once every blue, you know, every, you know, 500 days, he never cursed, but when he did, he would come in right away. He would apologize after loss. He would take the heat for the loss. It was always about how can I make these guys better? And it's the same thing with your kids. How am I going to make them better? And it's not always easy. Like I'm texting my son today. Hey, every time your group chats on something, he, is, he plays basketball. You got to respond. That's what, that's what leadership is. You, you're not above anything. You're not above uh, everybody. You've got to be about servant leadership all the time. And another great thing I think that we, on the last question was, you know, Coach Williams always had us working with Special, special Olympics. We always did stuff in the, in the community, community service. So our guys, number one, are giving back. Our guys understand how fortunate you are. And our guys understand that, that uh, it really is bigger than basketball. It's really bigger than them. And we all have a place in this earth that we have to, you know, help those that are around us and become a part of the community. And, and that, again, comes back to some leadership. Well, that's, you know, great final words of wisdom and, you know, tying it back to, you know, life beyond basketball and being able to make an impact, you know, not only in the sports world, but also in the business world and also in the philanthropic world and, and giving back to your local communities. Because, you know, I went to high school and the motto was a higher purpose than self at the Tampa Preparatory School. And that's, you know, something that was instilled you know, in my, you know, life and growing up and, you know, with, with my parents and my older sister, I mean, we all thought about how could we give back to the community and we did a lot of community service and, you know, in high school, you know, with Key Club and, you know, it just is very important for the maturation of our youth and I hope that with, you know, the generations today and in the future that they pride themselves on that as well and, you know, wanting to think beyond just their profession or their daily life and how they can give back to the local communities. Do you have any final words before we 
you know, to part about, you know, relationship building, you know, for our audience. No, I, I just appreciate you having me. I, I think we need to invest in our youth. We need to invest in the people that we're working with. Uh, I think that's the, the number one thing that we have to do to build that relationship, build a trust in each other that, that we truly have each other's back and we have a common goal and we can achieve it. So uh, thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Coach Walters. Really appreciate it. Um, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. And thanks so much for being a part of the Wave Capital's guest speaker series on a relationship building and a team environment. I hope you have a wonderful day. And thank you again for your time. I learned so much. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. God bless. Take care.